Amen. Thank you, Ms. Paulette. Have your Bible this morning turned to Philippians chapter 4 again. Philippians chapter 4, where for today and even for next Sunday, I want us to focus in on one particular verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, where Paul writes here, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Beloved, this is the final exhortation that Paul is giving here to the church at Philippi as he has called on them in verse 1 to stand firm in the Lord. And though this may be the final exhortation, you could say it is possibly the most important exhortation that he has given of all the commands he has given beginning in verse 1 down to verse 9. Because we cannot do, or we will not be actually fulfilling the things he calls on us to do in the first eight verses unless we actually fulfill verse 9, which is the practicing of the things that we are learning, the things that we are receiving. Let me remind you once again of some things that we've already learned here in the book of Philippians in regards to our salvation that will help us in preparing to hear and obey what Paul is asking us to do here in verse 9. For just a moment, if you will, go back to chapter 3 in Philippians and remember what he said there when he spoke about in verse 12, when he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And I read that verse to you again to remind us that Jesus Christ, when he saved you, he laid hold of you. And that when he laid hold of you and when he saved you, he saved you with a purpose of making you like him. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, look, I haven't reached perfection. I haven't reached absolute Christ-likeness in that sense. But he goes on to say there, but that's what I'm pressing on towards. He says, the thing that Jesus saved me for, that's the things I want to now pursue. I'm pressing on in my life. That's why he goes on to say there, this one thing I do. If there's one thing I'm doing in life, I am pressing on to become more like Christ. As Paul has laid this out for us, as we are to be pursuing Christ's likeness, I want to remind you again of something he taught us back in chapter 1 of Philippians. Go back there, where he tells us of God's work or of God's role in our salvation, and that includes our sanctification where he says there, beginning in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 1, where he says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. As you pursue Christ's likeness, I want you to be reminded again that ultimately it is God who is at work in you, perfecting you, making you more like Christ. Thus, you cannot do this 
in your own strength and your own wisdom, but you become more like Christ through the power and the strength of God by the Holy Spirit working in your life. So God, if you've been saved, the Spirit of God lives inside of you and the Spirit of God is working in you to make you more like Christ. Yet, as he teaches us over in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13, if you look there for a moment, yes, God is at work in us and God has a role in our sanctification in making us more like Christ in everything good and right and holy and Christ-like that's produced in your life. You have to give God all the credit for that. Yet, as he teaches us in Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13, we do have a responsibility in our sanctification. Where he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is, he says again, who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So again, God is the one who is at work in you, working on your will, working on your works for his good pleasure. But notice he says in verse 12, you and I, we have a responsibility to be working out our salvation in Christ. So both are involved. The Spirit of God working in your life, but also we have a responsibility to pursue Christ. To pursue Christ. Now it is important when we think about this, we think about our salvation because it can be eternally damning if you misunderstand how it is that works come into our salvation. Now if you look for a minute again with me in Philippians chapter 3, just to remind you again what Paul taught us that you are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you recall back in Philippians chapter 3, over there beginning in verse 7, where he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul was saying, look, he had given the testimony of, of how all these things he had been counting on. He was trying to keep the law. He was trying to establish his own righteousness with God by trying to keep the law. But when he came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus, he realized that it was only by putting his faith and his faith alone, trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ alone that he could be forgiven of all of his sins and that this righteousness of Christ could be imputed to him. And, and this is what he recognized, that it was only by faith alone, not faith plus anything else, equals salvation, but faith alone in Christ alone equals salvation for Paul and for you and for me. 
So again, beloved, this comes back to you. You recognize and you're seeing your need of a Savior. Have you put your faith in Christ? Are you depending on Christ alone for your salvation, for your redemption? If not, I would plead with you this morning, abandon everything else. Abandon all and put everything, all your trust in Jesus. And his life that was without sin, his death whereby he took our sins upon himself and his resurrection whereby God was declaring that he was pleased with his life, pleased with his death, and that everyone must come to me, the Father says, through Christ. You do that by putting your faith in Christ, which is what you must do. So again, a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But again, understand this. The person who is saved, that faith will not remain alone. It will not remain alone. That is, true, genuine, saving faith will begin to manifest itself in works, in following Christ, in obeying the word of God. Let's just, again, we're just thinking about what Paul is speaking about here in Philippians 4, where he's calling on the people there, as we're being called on by God's word, to practice. That is, apply the word of God, obey what it is that we are learning, obey, actually do it. Actually do it. Because if we say that we have faith, this is how important it is that we actually practice and obey and apply the word of God. If someone does not apply the word of God to their life, if someone does not practice what it is that they're learning, if someone doesn't actually do it, then that person needs to examine themselves to make sure that they're not deceived about their salvation, about their standing, about their faith with the Lord and into the Lord Jesus Christ. And just to help you see that, turn with me for just a moment. Go over to the book of James for just a moment and go and let's just start, let's just start in James chapter 2. And then we'll go back to James chapter 1. In James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, James writes, What use is it, my brethren? If someone says, here's what they're saying, here's what they're professing, that they have faith. But their life is saying they have no works. He asks a question, can that faith, can a faith that has no works, can a faith that then does not produce any love and obedience and following after the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, can that faith save him? And the way he asks that question in the original language is, the answer is no. It cannot save him. And he gives some illustrations of a brother or sister is without clothing and a need of daily food. And one of you just says to him, go in peace, be warm, be filled. Yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? That is, what use are your words if there are no actions that follow? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. 
Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? And then think about it again. What is our faith for? If, our, if we're saying we have faith in God for our salvation, and he says that faith that you're depending on, if it's useless, he's saying it's useless in bringing you salvation. Was not Abraham, he says, our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Also Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Again, James is not teaching faith plus works equals salvation. He's saying that faith, true, genuine, saving faith, will be accompanied after it with genuine works. And those works, by that, he's saying just obedience in listening and following and obeying what God's word says. The Apostle John says it like this over in 1 John in chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. He says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, John says, he's a liar and the truth's not in him. The person who's saying, I have come to know God I have a relationship with God. I have eternal life. And yet, I don't desire and I don't keep the word of God. John says that person can profess that all they want, but they're lying about their profession. They're lying because they're deceived about their profession in Christ. Think about the words of Jesus himself. Did not Jesus teach us that you will know someone by the fruit of their life? Did not Jesus teach us over in the Gospel of John and John chapter 15 and the opening verses there that he is the vine and we are the branches and there are branches that are there that are not fruitful, that do not bear fruit? What does he do with them? He takes them away. He cuts them off. He gathers them and he throws them into the fire to be burned. Or as Jesus says over in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 13, verse 17, listen very carefully to what he says here. He says, if you know these things, and he was there demonstrating service and washing of the feet of the disciples and calling on them to follow in his example. And he says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You see, it's not enough to know he didn't say, if you know these things, then you're blessed. He said, no, if you know them and do them, then you are blessed. You are blessed of the Lord. Beloved, this is what James himself says over in James chapter 1. Listen carefully to this. 
He says in verse 21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You see, James is teaching the same thing that Jesus was teaching there in John 13, verse 17. Jesus says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. James says, if you're an effectual doer, this man is the one who will be blessed in what he does. James says, if you're just a hearer of the word, but then you don't actually ever practice it, he says, you are deceived. You're deluding yourself. You're deceiving yourself. This is how important this is, this idea of practicing, applying, obeying what God's word says. And may I say to you, beloved, that as I read through these passages and some other passages, that this is something that concerns me. This is something that weighs on my heart as a pastor. Just think through the implications of what we just talked about. What Jesus said, what James said. Just think about this. There are people who name the name of Christ, that profess a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But yet, just think about this, have no desire, little at all, to actually be hearers of the word. Now we read in James, he said, he's talking to people who are actually hearers of the word but not doers, and he says they're deceiving themselves. How about those that don't even want to hear it? Are they not deceiving themselves? Or the people who do want to come and just hear the word but have no accountability to it. Want to apply it in no way in their life. No participation, no presence, no serving, no sharing, no, no effect on their life. It's as though they, they really, as he talks about there in the book of James, is the hearer and the doer there is the hearer only, is the person who just wants to audit church. Have you ever audited a class? I've audited a class before. May I tell you that I didn't get anything out of that class because I wasn't accountable to actually have to apply anything that was going on in the class because I was auditing it. All I had to do was just come and listen to what they were saying, but I didn't have to take any tests. I didn't have to do anything with the information while everybody else in the class that was there taking the class for a grade had to actually hear it and then actually apply it and do it. And this is, what I'm trying to get us to see, beloved, is that far too often, 
It is too typical and it is too standard in the church today that someone can actually either not be a hearer of the word or just be a hearer only and thought to be in good standing with the Lord. And what I want us to see is how important this is, this idea of practicing what it is that we learn because it is very easy for someone to deceive themselves, to be deceived. But secondly, let me just say this to you. When we're not practicing God's word as we should, you, you may be, you can have people that are actually born again and believers, but they're not practicing God's word really as they should be. They're not deceived. But beloved, what this ends up doing is it ends up leading to immaturity in the church. Immaturity. For just a moment, go over to the book of Hebrews and go to Hebrews chapter 5. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. And listen to the words of the writer of Hebrews. In verse 11, he says, Concerning him we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. Why is that? Verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is... An infant. But solid food is for the mature. Now who are the mature? Who because of practice, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That's why he says, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the, the Christ, let us press on to maturity. You see, we're supposed to be pressing on to maturity in Christ, becoming more like Christ. Well, how is it that we press on to maturity? By actually practicing what it is that we're learning. When we don't practice God's word as we should, it causes us to remain more in an infant state spiritually. So you could be deceived, or you could actually just be stunning your growth in the Lord. But let me give you a third effect that can happen when there's not a practicing of the Word of God as we should. And I want you to go back now for a moment to our text in Philippians 4. And I want you to notice the very last statement that Paul makes there. He's calling on them to practice these things. And notice what he says will happen. The God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Beloved, it's not just that a lack of practicing could lead to people being deceived in the church. But a lack of practicing of the Word of God, the applying of the Word of God in the true, genuine believer's life will lead to discouragement and doubt in their life. 
You notice what he says. If we're practicing these things, here will be one of the promises that God will give, that the God of peace will be there with you. Why is it so often that people's heart is in a constant turmoil, constant turmoil about their salvation? It's because they're not faithfully practicing and applying what the Word of God is calling on them to do. And because they're not doing that, this God, the God of peace is not there with them in the sense of, of, of encouraging them and strengthening them. They feel distant from Him, distance from His presence. As we were just reading a moment ago in Psalm 51, here is David, a true believer in God, who has committed a, a very heinous sin with Bathsheba. And what even had done to Bathsheba's husband. And here is a man that is broken over his sin. And one of the reasons why he's confessing and crying out to God is because he feels distance from God. There's no peace in his heart. There's, there's just turmoil that is there. And he's crying out, Oh God, restore the joy of my salvation. Don't take the, 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 the fellowship of the Holy Spirit away from me. I want to keep that. Far too often because we're not learning how to actually apply and do the word of God, God's people live in an almost constant state sometimes of discouragement and doubt. The God of peace, they don't feel like he's there with them in their life. This is why this is so critical. This is why this is so Important that we understand this idea of practicing, applying the Word of God. Now, if we're all honest with ourselves, and starting with myself, we would all have to say that each of us knows way more of the Bible than we actually practice. We all know more of the Bible than we actually do. And again, we're, we're, we're not going to be perfect in this and we're never going to reach perfection in this. But let me just, again, walk you back through something. And what Paul is trying to get across here in verse 9 when he says, practice these things. Because that idea there of practicing is more than just doing. He's really saying that he says it in the present tense, which he's saying now, make this now your habit. That word for practice there, just think about it, about repetition. He's saying you have to build repetition and habits, the habits of doing these things. And here's the reason why. Here's why we have to practice, 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 practice. It's because, beloved, when you were saved, when you were saved, you now were given a, a, a new heart. You were given a, a, a new mind. There was a renewal of your mind, the renewal of your heart, the renewal of your spirit that took place. But yet, you lived your life. We all have lived our life before salvation we all lived our life according to the course of the world. 
and we had established old ways of thinking and old sinful ways of living. And those things don't just disappear when we get saved. They're still with us. Now the old man is crucified, but the lingering effects of that old way of thinking and living is still there. It doesn't just disappear. Thus, we have to establish new ways of thinking, new ways of living, new ways of acting, and the only way that's going to happen is if you practice, practice, practice. If you establish habits in your life, repetition in your life. Just to show you that, turn one book back to the book of Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, and pick it up with me beginning in verse 20. He says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Now notice verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. And notice this old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind, now you're supposed to be putting on the new self, which is in likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we're supposed to be putting off the old self and its old ways and now putting on the new self that was created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth. Then he begins to give some details about that beginning there in verse 25. He says, therefore, lay aside falsehood, put on speaking truth, each one of you with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, yet don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't steal any more in your life, but rather work and give to those who are in need. Don't let unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth, but instead use words that are good for edification. Notice what he's saying. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, let all those things now be put away from you. And now in its place, put kindness in there. Tenderheartedness, forgiveness, just as Christ also has forgiven you. See, he's saying put off your old ways, put on new ways now that are honoring of Christ. Again, just to see this again, go over to the book of Colossians for just a moment. Go over to Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3. It's very similar to what we read a moment ago there in Ephesians 4. In Colossians 3, beginning in verse 5, it says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked. You see, notice he's saying there, this is the way you used to live your life. You used to live your life in the things he was just describing there in verse 5 and verse 6. When you were, he says, living in these things. You were living in them, walking in them. But now you also 
put them all aside, which again tells us, beloved, that when you get saved, when a person gets saved, these things just don't automatically disappear. You've been living this way. Maybe you've been living... Before you knew Christ, you were living and you responded in anger and outbursts of wrath and there's just ways that you handled things, the way you thought about things and now you got saved and you did have a renewal of your mind. You have a new heart that now gives you a desire and a disposition towards the Word of God. You want to obey the Word of God and do the Word of God but now you still have to work on putting aside, as he says there, anger. Put away wrath. Put away slander. Put away malice. Put away abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with this, notice what he says there in verse 9, with its evil practices. You've been practicing, 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 practicing sin, 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 sin. Now you're saved. You have to start to learn how to practice righteousness, 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 doing what is right. He goes on to say in verse 10, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Look down in verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, notice what he says, put on. There's things you have to now start putting on in your life. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Putting on love, he says there in verse 14. Things that are just the opposite of the old way of life, he says that you were practicing before you got saved. But you still, I want you to see the need there. There's the need for us to put on the new man that has put on new ways of thinking, new ways of living. And my point for us is just for today... As we go back to Philippians 4, when Paul is saying practice these things, my point for us is to understand that this won't just happen by osmosis. And this won't just happen just by offering it up to God. See, I can just tell you how I grew up. This is the way I grew up Hearing and, and being taught, not necessarily always just by what was coming from the pulpit, but just by what I was observing and, and watching around me in church as a, as a young boy and a young man growing up. This is the way I was taught in regards to, to sin in, in the life of the believer. And one way I was taught, don't question your salvation. If you pray the prayer, don't question it. And sadly, I believe that has led to too many people being deceived in the church. But secondly, the way that it came across to me was, well, I, I know I, I am saved and there is sin in my life and what I need to do is just give it to the Lord. I could give it to the Lord sitting in my pew. I could come down to the altar and just give it to the Lord. And if I just come and just give it over to the Lord, then the Lord should just take that away. And because of that, oftentimes 
True believers are living, as I said a moment ago, discouraging lives. They're discouraged because they come and they offer it before the Lord, and yet it doesn't take any time at all, and they're right back in the same old sin, doing the same old things. It's like nothing's really growing and changing in their life as they so desire. It's because, beloved, it takes more than that. It takes more than that. For us to practice these things. When you see Paul say there in Philippians 4 and verse 9, practice these things. I want you to have in your mind, make things a habit. Repetition. I want you to have in your mind, discipline in your life. Discipline your life. That's what Paul says over in 1 Timothy in chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8. He says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. That is when he says discipline yourself, he's saying intentionally orient Structure your life towards godliness. Doing what you're supposed to be doing, what God's Word calls on us to do. Now again, you cannot do this in your own strength and in your own just willpower. You you need the the grace of God. You need the Spirit of God. You need the Word of God. And as we're going to see, you need the people of God. But you have to actually discipline yourself. And we understand this concept. If you've ever participated in any form of athletics, you understand that it takes practice, 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 and it also takes practicing doing it right. And that if you ever have dealt with someone as a coach or just dealt with someone in your own, even your own life, maybe just dealing with your own self as an athlete, knowing if somebody... It's, it's, it's essentially whenever I, I watch kids and I watch kids in baseball and they're, they're swinging the bat and I can see, man, they have developed over the last five or six years and here's this 12-year-old who's been swinging the bat and they've been swinging it this certain way and they have developed a habit and here's the way they swing it and it's wrong. And you have to break it down and you have to say and start teaching them the fundamentals of how to swing the bat Right. And until they practice it and practice it and practice it and practice it, you can get in that cage and they can do certain things, but when they get in the game, until it becomes something that they, just, they respond and do it the right way, when they get in the game, they're going to go back to their old ways of doing it until it becomes a part of who they are. And this is what Paul is asking them to do, saying if you want to stand firm in the Lord and be strong and stable in Christ and your walk with the Lord and not shaken and moved here and there constantly, he's saying you're going to have to practice these things that you've been learning, which means discipline yourself for those things. You have to do that. This is what is personally needed in your life. You personally need to discipline your life. But secondly, let me just say this. Or along that line, before we think about what God's Word says. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it speaks there about, let us consider how we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And he says, not forsaking the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. They've gotten in the habit of not forsake, of not gathering together. That is, they haven't made it the priority. They haven't structured and disciplined their life that says, I am going to gather together with God's people. That's what I'm going to do. And if that means I have to, to structure my life differently on Saturdays or Fridays or throughout the week, that I'm going to make sure that I am there to be hearing the Word of God. I'm going to make it my habit to be there in the gathering together of God's people. Look at the life of Christ. The Bible tells us over in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 14, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, that it was Jesus' custom. That is, it was his habit to go to the synagogue for worship, for the teaching of the Word of God. You look at the life of Christ and you see that it was his habit to go and to spend time with his Father in prayer. It was the custom and the, the habit and the life of Christ to serve others, share the gospel with others, shepherd his disciples, just be involved. Those are things that he was intentional about in his life. And that's where it must start for us as well. Personally, disciplining our lives to practice these things. But let me share one other thing with you that's just as important. And that is corporate, congregational accountability. Corporate, congregational accountability. Turn with me for just a moment to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. you're going to see a lot of similarities to what you read there in Philippians 4 and verse 9. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. Now you're going to see a pattern here of unruly or undisciplined life. He said, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship. We kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you, not because we did not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that there are some among you leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. What are you supposed to do? Verse 12, now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person. Don't associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet don't regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. 
And notice how he closes it. Verse 16, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Very similar to what we saw in Philippians 4.9, the God of peace will be with you all. And Paul is saying here that you move out to obey God's word here. Understand the Lord of peace will grant you peace in every circumstance as you do it, and he will be with you all as you do it. Paul here, when you read there, he was saying to the church at Thessalonica, hold each other accountable. Hold each other accountable to actually obey what you're learning. He's very clear about that. That is supposed to be a part of church life, that we hold one another accountable. Think about this. What is the Great Commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I commanded? Is that what it says? No. It says teaching them to observe, obey all that I commanded. You teach them to obey. It doesn't say just teach them. It says you teach them to obey until they actually obey and we practice until it becomes a part of our life and we put those things on. The discipleship process has not been completed in that area. We're not fulfilling the Great Commission, beloved, if all we do is go and teach, but we don't call on someone to obey, observe it. This is just as important that corporately and congregationally as a church that we are set up in such a way that there is going to be accountability to actually do what the Word of God says. As Paul was saying here in 2 Thessalonians 3, and as God's Word is saying to us in Philippians 4, what we're learning, we need to practice. That is, obey, apply it. And we need discipline in our life to do it. I, well, you, you personally have to discipline your life to do it. And you need the, the accountability of God's people to do it as well. The accountability of God's people to do it. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.